Our Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of the prophet Ezekiel. We'll hear the opening four verses from the 12th chapter about a call that the Lord is placing to his prophet. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house which has eyes to see but does not see and ears to hear but does not hear for they are a rebellious house. Therefore, son of man, prepare your belongings for captivity and go into captivity by day in their sight. You shall go from your place into captivity to another place in their sight. It may be that they will consider, though they are a rebellious house. By day you shall bring out your belongings in their sight as though going into captivity. And at evening you shall go in their sight like those who go into captivity. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning comes from the gospel according to John in the first chapter of the fourth gospel beginning verse 43 and continuing through verse 50. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Here he found Philip said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree, you will see greater things than these. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Last week, we celebrated the manifestation of the young Messiah to the Gentiles who had come to Bethlehem following the star. And I talked last week at length about epiphanies and how that word is plural and we may even still be surprised by the ongoing self-revelations of God right up to this very day. Well, providentially, this week's lectionary appointed gospel reading comes to us from the first chapter of John and it describes yet another such incident. And this one took place roughly 30 years after Jesus' birth, 
But still, as far as we're concerned, it was a long, long time ago. In this account, Philip has been found by Jesus and had just begun to follow the rabbi as had the brothers Andrew and Simon Peter. Well, Philip finds his brother Nathaniel to tell him the wonderful news concerning the coming of the Messiah right here in their midst. But he is greeted by some skepticism on the part of his brother as Nathaniel finds it difficult to believe that the king of the Jews would be a native of Nazareth. Now the author of this gospel makes it known right up front that all three of those who first followed Jesus were from Bethsaida. At the time, the town whose name in Hebrew means house of fishing, was probably home to several hundred people, perhaps a few more, yet its location on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee made for a, a thriving mercantile town with craftspeople and shopkeepers who were supporting the vibrant fishing trade. Well, I also grew up near a little village that was situated on the shore of a lake. In school, the townies had a bit of a clique, and they would often disparage those of us who rode the bus in from other surrounding regions. To them, we were hicks. I think that's just the thought that went through Nathaniel's mind when he heard Philip tell him that the Messiah is from Nazareth, Nazareth, a crossroads in the uplands, halfway between the waters of Galilee and the Mediterranean, a huddle of houses known for not much at all. And you want me to believe that this is the place from which the Messiah hails? Well, as Gomer Pyle used to say, surprise, surprise, surprise. And it wasn't just Nathaniel who would have been skeptical about Jesus' identity based on his origin. Even the best educated elite of the Hebrew people had been expecting, well, something that was greater and grander and larger than Nazareth. At least to his credit, Nathaniel was, with Jesus' help, able to get over himself and his preconceived notions of who and what the Messiah could and should be, something that not all his contemporaries could. The invitation that came from his brother was the catalyst for the transformation of Nathaniel's life. Had the challenge to come and see not been offered, Nathaniel would not have been surprised by the revelation from and of Jesus. And here I think we are offered a lesson for our own day, time, and circumstances from this ancient text. Yes, good, solid, foundational, reformed theology reminds us that we come at God's bidding. He is our creator, redeemer, sustainer, and friend. 
Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of Israel to find and save them from their waywardness. All was done in accord with God's restorative plans for recreation. And yet, even still, Nathanael comes to Jesus at Philip's invitation. That being the case, who's to say that God can't allow, yea, even use others to invite their brothers and sisters to meet the man from Nazareth? That is a word I think we can take from this story today. Whether we are fishermen or watermen by trade, we can be fishers of men by vocation. Whether we are from the cosmopolitan town or the cultured city or from the little hamlet or from the wide open country, God can use us equally to reach others. Conventions are overturned by the Messiah. The exalted are humbled. The humble are lifted up. Valleys are filled and mountains are smooth. There is a level playing field in God's kingdom. Every one of us and any one of us is of equal importance and value. We each have specific roles to play based on the unique combination of spiritual gifts we have been endowed with but none are any more important than others. Philip had just started following Jesus. He would not have had time for even rudimentary lessons in preaching, in teaching, in healing, in service, and in evangelism. Yet such prerequisites did not interfere with his desire to invite his brother to come and see. So this is a hope of mine for 2024, that we would all, regardless of our formal educational and professional experiences, act out our Christian vocations as fishers of men and invite people to come and see. Come and see the Lord for yourselves. That may mean an invitation to church, but it may not. Some folks need to meet Jesus before they discover the church. God works in mysterious and often unpredictable ways. But my prayer for 2024 is that all of us, and I'm certainly including myself here, all of us would, in words and in deeds, be invitational, drawing people to Christ so that they could have an encounter with the holy, an encounter which would challenge their preconceived notions about who Jesus is or isn't and about who they are or aren't. Such an encounter changed Nathaniel's life as it was changing the lives of Andrew and Peter. Such an encounter may have been the catalyst for changing your life as well. Think about the people in your life who have invited you to come and see. Maybe they didn't phrase it exactly like that, but there was something they said or did that caused you to take a step toward God, whatever that step may have been. I remember 
a wife who wanted to have her husband accompany her to church on Sunday. And I remember a bunch of people from that church who encouraged and affirmed my gifts for teaching the Bible and leading others in its study. So an invitation to come and see can take many forms, and it can be extended to those who have never before come and seen, as well as an encouragement to deepen one's relationship with God, to come and see anew. These sorts of actions are not just vital to the health and vitality of the church, but also to the well-being of those to whom the invitations are addressed. Come and see involves two separate but related components. The first involves trust, for we are much more reluctant to go with total strangers than with people whom we know. And the better we know them, hopefully, the greater the trust, the lesser then the anxiety and reluctance. Nathaniel was well known to Philip and vice versa. From his remark about Nazareth, we can infer that he wasn't all in from the get-go, but at least the door wasn't slammed shut. Many of you may be mature enough to remember when going to the airport meant having to wade through wave after wave of Hare Krishnas. Where did they go? They didn't know you, and you didn't know them, and even if they were willing to give you a flower, few people took them up on their offer to talk about things of a spiritual nature. The same rate of invitational acceptance is often encountered when going door to door after the manner of the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Latter-day Saints representatives who may have come to your house. By contrast, Philip was practicing, and I'm recommending, something called relational evangelism. Even the biggest introverts among us already know of a whole bunch of people. Philip cared for his brother enough that he wanted him to know what Nathaniel didn't. He wanted his brother to find out that truth that Philip had learned. And I hope that we care enough for our friends and relatives at least as much as Philip. Steve Adkins, he's a, a master of relational evangelism. He seeks actively to meet strangers and gets to know them. He invests the time and the energy required to foster and strengthen relationships with new folks all the time, both in and around Salisbury, in and around Princess Anne, and when he travels overseas. If and when he senses the time is right, he speaks to them of things eternal and prays that they too will sense a desire to come and see the Lord. Over the course of this past week, providentially, as tomorrow is the day on which we celebrate the life and the witness of Dr. Martin Luther King, I have received two of my own dreams. 
I believe that God was giving me a message, well, two, and that I'm supposed to relate these to you all this morning. In one, I was seated at a conference table at some institution of higher education. I was surrounded by papers and was working on some sort of project as if I worked for this institution. As I sat there, a man who looked remarkably like the recently retired president of my seminary walked in and sat down a couple of chairs away from me. And he was supposed to be headed out to some meeting, but he had just received a request to make some remarks for another audience, and he needed to at least get started on preparing his notes. And his topic concerned the nature of God's grace. And he was going to begin by reminding those he would address of the blessed assurance, the security that believers receive from and in Christ. Calvinists might call this the perseverance of the saints. When Nathaniel assented to his brother's invitation to come and see, he met the one who would change his life, just as he had the lives of Philip and Andrew and Simon Peter. From the day he began to follow Jesus, he turned away from the things that he had been following before. What he received in return was a first-class education on what is truly important and how to live with and live out that knowledge. The come and see of his brother was followed by a follow me of the master and Nathaniel's acceptance of both forever changed him. Claimed by Christ then, even in the trials and the tribulations of this life, God would forever be faithful and would even at the end see him through just as this same God has done, is doing, and will do for all who confess Jesus as Lord. In the second dream, I was in a car on the highway. It was a, a bit like an updated scene from The Wizard of Oz. I was headed toward a great city off in the far distance. The road I was on had many lanes, but very little traffic. There were rocks and rubble and other debris here and there along the way, so the car had to be actively steered. One couldn't rely on an AI autopilot to chart the course. There were no lanes of travel in the opposite direction. This was one way all the way. As I traveled, I felt a tinge of sorrow at the miles behind, mixed with a joy for the destination ahead, which seemed ever closer by the minute. When Nathaniel met Jesus, he was about 30 years of age. His public ministry had just begun, but it would last for only about three more years. His life then was 90% over when he called his first disciples. And though 11 of the 12 of his closest followers would outlive him, their lives also 
may have been mostly over by the time they heard and responded to his call. Yet the years they spent in Jesus' service were the ones that mattered. Whatever went before, no one was going to write about. What they did after, no one was ever going to forget. Called to follow Jesus, his disciples then and now are called to follow him through life, through death, and out the other side. He issues an invitation to an eternity of service. Come and see, Philip says to Nathaniel, without fully grasping all that they would see together. Seasons of struggle and seasons of plenty, seasons of strife and seasons of peace, seasons of deep sadness and seasons of unimaginable joy, seasons of death and seasons of new, abundant, and eternal life. For Nathaniel, as for us, began with an invitation. Come and see. Why would we not want to extend the same invitation to meet, perhaps for the first time, the one who is the giver of all life, the savior of the nations, the light of the world, which no powers or darkness can cover, the author of salvation, who alone can set us free from the powers and the principalities in this world and behind them. All of this, beginning with those three simple words, come and see. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God. And amen.